You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Zags, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host as always, Stephen Carr. NFL season is about to begin and nobody covers it like the Locked On Podcast Network. August 30th through September 8th, it's Locked On's Ultimate Season Preview, and it's taking you through every team and every division with the help of Odyssey's lineup of NFL experts. Follow the Ultimate Season Preview 2021 feed on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts to tune in beginning August 30th. Today is Wednesday, August 25th, and we are now 76 days away from the start of college basketball, less than 11 weeks from another Gonzaga season starting up. And the number 76 has significance for two reasons. First, it's the number of times that Gonzaga has faced Washington State throughout the years. In those 76 games, Gonzaga is actually 32 and 44, but with Mark Few as head coach, Gonzaga is 13 and 3. The first matchup between Gonzaga and Washington State happened all the way back on December 6, 1952 when the Cougs beat the Zags 69-64. to At one point in the 70s and 80s, Washington State won 11 straight matchups. But like I said, Gonzaga has completely owned the series since their rise to prominence in 1999. Unfortunately, they haven't played since the 2015-16 season, which we talked about yesterday. But I think with Kyle Smith at the helm now, in Pullman, and that program clearly is on an upward trajectory and has a chance to make the NCAA tournament this year. I'm hoping that these two teams can start playing once again, and I think it would be really cool if they did a three-game series where they had a home, a home, and then a third game at the Spokane Arena where both fan bases can equally get tickets. So hopefully that's something that can happen here in the future. The other reason that the number 76 is significant is that it's the number of points Gonzaga scored in Mark Few's first ever game as head coach way back in November of 1999. Gonzaga took on the University of Montana in Missoula and beat the Grizz 76-61. to Four different Zags fouled out of the game, but they did enough to win anyway. Casey Calvary had 13 of his 17 points in the second half. Richie Fromm added 12 points. Ryan Floyd had 10. Axel Dench had 10. And Gonzaga wins in Mark Few's first game as head coach, 76-61. to So there you have it. The two significant meanings of the number 76. Tune in tomorrow. Find out what the number 75 has in store as we continue our countdown to college basketball. Okay, today on the show, there's really not any news and notes. It was a very, very quiet day on Tuesday. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and bypass that. And we're going to look back on the 2017 Gonzaga Bulldogs, the team who finally broke through to the first Final Four in school history. We'll also continue our Path to Playing Time series with some words on Julian Strother. Only two guys left on the men's side to talk about, and one of them is Julian Strother. He decided not to play in the FIBA U19 World Cup this summer for Puerto Rico, and instead he stayed back in Spokane to work on his game at Gonzaga. What are the chances that he enters the starting lineup on opening night? We will discuss that today on the program. Before we get to those two things, I want to talk about Bet Online because today's episode is being sponsored by BetOnline.ag. 
It's that time of year again, and all eyes are turning to football as teams head back to the gridiron to start their season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL Mega Contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest, both open now at Bet Online. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 100% welcome bonus. Be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo. Make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th season opener between the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Hard Knocks Dallas Cowboys. If you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers when signing up and using the promo code NFL100. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports, from football to basketball, right down to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait. Take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. That's Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Use promo code Locked On and NFL 100. All right, let's have some fun. Let's talk about the historic 2017 Gonzaga Bulldogs, who on paper had the largest influx of talent. Now that you look back on it in a retrospect in school history, and it's not even remotely close, and I don't, I'm really not sure it can ever be matched again. Nigel Williams Goss comes in off of his redshirt transfer year. Jonathan Williams comes in off of his redshirt transfer year. Jeremy Jones comes in off his redshirt transfer year, and he really doesn't even play uh, as a sophomore. And then they bring in a freshman class of Zach Collins, Killian Tilly, and Rui Hachimura. And then, a month before the season starts, they get a graduate transfer in Jordan Matthews from California, who is a a pure sharpshooter. So they get seven guys, Nigel Williams-Goss, Jonathan Williams, Jordan Matthews, Zach Collins, Killian Tilly, Rui Hachimura, Jeremy Jones. That influx of seven different players will never be seen again, I don't think, in Gonzaga history. And of course, that's one of the many reasons why they had so much depth on this team. So let's talk about the season itself. They start the year ranked 14th in the country, which for the most part I thought was somewhat fair because it's a lot of new pieces that are coming in and it was going to take at least a little bit of time, you thought, for them to gel and they had to prove that they were actually going to be a good team. They did that pretty quickly. They beat San Diego State at home in the 24-hour tip-off marathon and then they went to Florida and they went and played in the... Old Spice Classic, Advocare Invitational, Disney Mickey Mouse Tournament, whatever the heck it was called that year. Uh, The one that's played in Orlando. And uh, they beat Kanipiak by a lot in the first round. And then they got to play two ranked teams in the semifinals and the championship. And the game against Florida um, was a a back-and-forth affair. Florida was actually up double digits in the first half. Gonzaga comes back, claws their way back, and then goes on a 15-2 run late in the second half. Two huge threes from Josh Perkins and another two huge threes from Silas Melson were the difference in that game. Gonzaga beats Florida 77-72. to Jonathan Williams was 8-for-9 from the field. He had 16 points against Florida. And that wasn't even his best game against Florida. We'll talk about his unbelievable performance against Florida in the 2018 season tomorrow on the show. And then they played in the championship game against a good Iowa State team. This game was played at like... 10 in the morning on a Sunday after a grueling game the night before. So you just thought to yourself, I don't know how well uh, Gonzaga's offense is going to come out and perform right away. I don't know if they're going to come out slow. They did not. They could not miss a shot in the first half of this game. They scored 49 points in the first half. They were absolutely unconscious 
from deep. Nigel Williams-Goss finished the game 6-for-8 from beyond the arc. He had two games the rest of the season where he had more than three threes. Six for eight from beyond the arc in Zaga. He goes 13 for 25 as a team from the three-point line. They go up 15 points at halftime, and then Iowa State goes on a 15 to nothing run to cut the lead to one possession in the second half, and it was all because of Deontay Burton. If you guys remember the name Deontay Burton, he scored 29 points and had 12 rebounds uh, for Iowa State. And it was a one-possession game all the way until the end. Iowa State had multiple chances to win the game. Gonzaga, they score three points in the final five minutes. But luckily, Iowa State scores two. And Gonzaga holds off the Cyclones 73-71. to And they win the uh, Orlando tournament and improve to 6-0 and on the season. If you guys flash back to this 2017 team in your mind, can you remember when you thought that this team had something different to them? Like there was... You know, this was not your good Gonzaga team. Like, this team had a chance to be something really, really special. When was that moment, do you think, for you? Because for me, it was the game against Arizona in the Staples Center. Because that Arizona team beat Gonzaga in 2015 in Arizona. They beat them in 2016 in Spokane. And then they play each other at the Staples Center in Los Angeles in 2017. And that was a good Arizona team. They got the number two seed, which we'll talk about later on um, when talking about Gonzaga's run to the Elite Eight. Um, but Gonzaga beat them up. Like, they handled them easily in this uh, game in Los Angeles. They were up double digits by halftime. They're up 14 at half. And really, Arizona never made a run in this game. They won. They ended up winning the game 69-62. to But for the most part, they were up 10, 12, 14 points pretty much the entire game. And Shemek Karnowski was unbelievable. He basically owned that Ristich kid from Arizona. Shemek Karnowski finished with 18 points on 9 of 13 shooting. I think that was the moment when I said, all right, this team has got maybe a little bit extra. And you can tell that they had depth as well. And I mean veteran good depth. Of their eight guys that they were playing in the rotation, six of them were either in their third, fourth, or fifth years of college basketball. Nigel Williams-Goss was in his fourth year. Josh Perkins was in his third year. Uh, Jonathan Williams was in his fourth year. Shema Karnowski was in his fifth year. Jordan Matthews, his fourth year. Uh, Silas Melson was in his third year. And then, of course, they had the two talented freshmen in Killian Tilly and Zach Collins. But if you weren't sold after the Arizona game, maybe you were sold after the Tennessee game. Tennessee did not have a fantastic season um, that year by any stretch, but they still went into Knoxville and they scored 31 points in the first 10 minutes of that game. They went 31 to 12, 10 minutes into the game at Tennessee. Nigel Williams-Goss finished the game with 20 points, nine rebounds, six assists, and Gonzaga improves to 11 and 0. You guys remember the 2021 team, how they won every single game by double digits? Uh, basically after West Virginia, all the way up until UCLA in the semifinals. That is exactly what this 2017 team did after the Arizona game. They did not have another game in the single digits up until the BYU game on senior night. They won every single game by at least 10 points. The closest anybody came was BYU in Provo. And that was the Nigel Williams-Goss game. He played all 40 minutes. He had 33 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists, 3 steals. Leads Gonzaga to an 85-75 to victory over BYU. The only other team that got within 10 points was St. Mary's. And this game was in Moraga. College game day was there. 
Dan Schulman, Jay Billis on the call. Gonzaga went on a 17-2 run in the first half. St. Mary's never got back within single digits pretty much for the rest of the game. Gonzaga wins 74-64. Shema Karnowski, 19 points. Jonathan Williams, 17 points. Jock Landale was fantastic, but they had nobody else who could guard those two guys inside. Dane Pineau, Evan Fitzner, Jordan Hunter, they stood no chance. Gonzaga improves to 26-0. They win three more games and get to 29-0. And then, of course, the dreaded BYU game. I remember working this game. Gonzaga goes on an 18-2 run to start the game. And everybody's like, all right, here we go again. Gonzaga going to just completely maul another opponent. There's 14 minutes left in the game. And Gonzaga is still up by 10. They really weren't threatened a whole lot. And then out of nowhere, they stop scoring. BYU goes on a 15-2 run. And they take a 63-62 lead with 8 minutes to go in the game. They trade baskets all the way until the final 2 minutes where Gonzaga does not score again. BYU goes on a 10-0 run in the final two and a half minutes to win the game 79-71 and shock the world. Eric Mika, unbelievable. One of the best performances of any road player to come into Gonzaga. 29 points on 10 of 14 shooting, 9 of 13 from the line. He grabbed 11 rebounds. He could not be stopped in this game. TJ Hawes hits five threes. Nick Emery hits a pair of threes. Elijah Bryant hits a pair of threes. Gonzaga, three for 16 from beyond the arc. They turned the ball over 16 times, including six turnovers from Josh Perkins and four from Nigel Williams-Goss, and they get shocked at home, 79-71 to for their first loss of the season. They were able to dust themselves off, and they beat Pacific, they beat Santa Clara, and then they beat St. Mary's, who's a top-20 team. They were ranked 19th. That WCC championship game was the number four-ranked team in the country against the number 19-ranked team in the country, and Gonzaga beat them by 18, 74-56. Gonzaga and St. Mary's played three times. St. Mary's was ranked all three times they played that year. Gonzaga won by 18, they won by 10, and they won by 23. A really good St. Mary's team had zero shot of beating Gonzaga this season. So Gonzaga wins the WCC championship once again. Nigel Williams-Goss is named the WCC Player of the Year. He's named a second-team consensus All-American. And I want to break down his numbers just for a second. He's the only player in the Mark Few era to average at least 15 points, five rebounds, and three assists. Those weren't his numbers, but he's the only player to ever do that. He finished with 16.8 points, six rebounds, and four and a half assists. So not only is he the only player to have uh, 15, five, and three, he had 16, six, and four and a half. He set the record, the Gonzaga record, for most rebounds by a guard until, of course, Joel Ayayi broke that record in back-to-back years uh, these past two seasons. So Gonzaga gets to the NCAA tournament. They get a number one seed in the West, and their number two seed is Arizona. Arizona has just ripped through everybody in the second half of the season. They went 16-2 and in the Pac-12. They won the Pac-12 tournament, and they get a number two seed. And Arizona's path would be a seven-seed St. Mary's in the second round. And it was a, a weird conflict for Gonzaga fans because they kind of wanted to root for Um, the WCC to succeed and have an easier path for Gonzaga to get to a potential national or a final four and eventually a national championship. But at the same time, it's like, 
mm, man, do we really want to root for St. Mary's in the NCAA tournament? And for St. Mary's, they competed pretty much the entire way. I mean, it was a one possession game up until about the five minute mark or so. And Arizona pulled away down the stretch, beat St. Mary's 69 to 60. And then in the top half of the bracket, it's Gonzaga and it's Northwestern and it's controversy in the second half. Gonzaga goes up pretty much by 20 points very quickly. Uh, They're up 18 at halftime. They continue to play well up until about the 10-minute mark in the second half. Northwestern makes a run. They cut the thing down to five points. And then the controversial no-call of Zach Collins uh, should have been a goaltending, which would have cut the lead down to three. I still don't think Northwestern wins that game, even with that basket being scored. Uh, But without it being scored, you know, Collins gets a technical foul. Uh, chaos ensues. Gonzaga ends up winning the game 79-73. Northwestern fans still to this day not over that call. So now we get to the Sweet 16 in San Jose. And you could not ask, as a neutral fan, for two more dramatic games than what we got at the SAP Center in back-to-back games. Gonzaga-West Virginia was the afternoon game. Arizona-Xavier was the night game. This was all setting up to be a Gonzaga-Arizona rematch. Two West Coast teams, one looking to get back to the Final Four for the first time in nearly 20 years, the other one looking to get to the Final Four for the first time in school history. But Xavier and West Virginia wanted to have something to say about that. Obviously, we know how the Gonzaga-West Virginia game went. It was an absolute slugfest. Grinded out, defensive-type game. Gonzaga led for most of the way uh, until West Virginia went on a 12-2 run about midway through the second half and was able to take the lead. And then from there, it was just trading baskets back and forth. And then we all know how it ended. Looks like we got another one set up here. Two free throws missed, but poked away by Carter. Now it's blocked. Perkins on the block. Williams Goss comes out of the pack. Matthews for three. Oh, my goodness. Jordan Matthews puts Gonzaga on top. Woof indeed, Chris Webber. Woof indeed. The biggest shot in school history up until Jalen Suggs 3 this year. And it came from Jordan Matthews. And then the crazy final sequence when Javon Carter just could not get a shot off. Gonzaga wins 61-58 to to advance to the Elite 8 in still what is probably the grittiest win in school history given West Virginia's style of play. And hey, guess what? Mark Few beat Bob Huggins again. So Gonzaga does their job. In the bottom half of the bracket, Arizona could not do theirs. They went on a 12-0 run late in the second half after pretty much being up all game. They go up 69-61 to with four minutes left in the game, and they could not hold on to the game. Xavier finishes on a 12-2 run and shocks Arizona 73-71. to Trayvon Blewett, 25 points for Xavier, and they upset Arizona and get to the Elite Eight in a showdown with Gonzaga. They played this little 1-3-1 zone that flustered Arizona down the stretch of that game. Gonzaga had absolutely no problem with that 1-3-1 zone. They had no problem with anything Xavier did that game. They beat Xavier handily. It was a double-digit game at halftime. Xavier never came close. It was 20 points midway through the second half, and Gonzaga cruised to their first Final Four in school history, 83-59. to They cut down the nets 
for the first time. And they did it in front of a whole bunch of Bay Area Zag fans. And I know there's a whole bunch of them out there, including myself, who was in attendance at that game. Nigel Williams-Goss, 23 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, 0 turnovers in that Elite 8 game. Jonathan Williams with 19 points. Perkins and Matthews both had 11 So Gonzaga gets to the Final Four. They play it in Phoenix, which was unbelievably cool that pretty much every West Coast Gonzaga fan didn't have to travel more than a couple hours at most. They play South Carolina, who upset everybody, including Duke, on their way to a shocking Final Four run as a number seven seed. And this was the Zach Collins game in a transcendent performance from Zach Collins in this game. 14 points, 13 rebounds, and six blocks. We talked about it yesterday a little bit, but Gonzaga in this game went up double digits uh, at halftime, and they continued to look like they would kind of cruise until the end of this game. They were up 10 with 11 minutes left in this game, and all of a sudden, South Carolina goes on a shocking 16 to nothing run over about a six-minute span, and they take the lead, 67-65. to 65. Gonzaga actually trailed. I don't know if people remember that Gonzaga actually trailed for about a minute or so in this game. And that's when Gonzaga gets probably the luckiest shot in school history. It's Zach Collins on a pick and pop from the top of the key for three, and the ball dies on the back of the rim. It was an ugly shot, dies on the back of the rim, and rolls in to give Gonzaga a 68-67 to lead. If that thing rims out, who knows how that game ends up. But instead, Gonzaga takes the lead, and they pretty much hold on to it the rest of the way. They get two enormous icing free throws from a freshman, Killian Tilly, to win the game 77-73 to and advance to their first national championship in school history. In the national championship, they take on the North Carolina Tar Heels, a team that lost last season's national championship to Villanova. And Gonzaga was ahead the entire first half. Josh Perkins played the first half of his life. He was absolutely fantastic. But Gonzaga could not put North Carolina away. They were up seven in that first half, about midway through. And they had multiple three-point attempts. And both of them were wide open with a chance to go up by double figures in the first half. And they missed them both. And that was kind of the theme of that first half is they had a chance to extend that lead multiple times from, you know, five and seven to 10 or 12, and they could not do it. And then North Carolina goes on a 12 to two run uh, spanning the very end of the first half and the beginning of the second half, and they take the lead. Of course, they go back and forth. We all know how this ends. Nigel Williams-Goss with uh, a couple big baskets down the stretch in isolation. They're down by a point. Nigel Williams-Goss turns his ankle. There's a bunch of weird officiating all night long. They didn't let the big guys play inside. There's 44 foul calls in this game. There's 52 free throws. Neither team shoots very well from the free throw line. Shemek Karnowski has the worst game of his career. He was one for eight from the field, possibly due to being poked in the eye in the semifinals against South Carolina. Uh, But still, Gonzaga had all the chances in the world, I thought, in the first half to win this game, not necessarily in the second half, but they had a lot of really open shots in the first half that if they knock down, I think they win this game. But they don't, and North Carolina gets the championship that they thought that they should have won the prior year. Uh, And Gonzaga loses in their first ever national championship game. They finish the season 37-2, and and it sucked. I'll be honest, it sucked. I'm still really not over that game. I'm already over the Baylor game because that game itself was never close. It was obviously a terrible end to a historic season. 
But this North Carolina game, just the way that it went, with all the chances that they had in the first half, I've gone back and watched this game multiple times because I'm a masochist. Um, but the chances that they had in the first half, the the Miss Kennedy Meeks out of bounds call, um, you know, the the lack of awareness on the out of bounds play where they gave up a basket. I mean, there's just so many different things. And if one of them goes the other way, then Gonzaga probably wins this game. And they didn't, and it sucks. Uh, but the it was their first season making the Final Four, the first one. Making it to a national championship game is still one of the best teams, arguably the best team. I think it would have been fascinating to watch this team take on the 2021 team because this team was completely different. This team led the, the uh, country in defense, and like it wasn't even close. They had the best field goal percentage defense of anybody in the nation. They held teams to 36% shooting as a team. They held teams to 29% shooting from beyond the arc. That was second in the country. Field goal percentage at 36%, first in the country. They were unbelievable. They didn't allow anything at the rim because of Zach Collins, Jonathan Williams, and Shamit Karnowski inside. And then they had a true leader of a point guard in Nigel Williams-Goss, who was incredible. And they surrounded him with shooters, in Jordan Matthews and Josh Perkins. Josh Perkins didn't have to do a ton as a sophomore like he did, had to do as a freshman, and he had a really solid season as a complimentary player. And then you had three guys off the bench in Melson and Killian Tilly and Zach Collins who all played their roles fantastic. I mean, it was a fantastic basketball team, and I really do think it would have been an interesting matchup to see this kind of physical, defensive-minded team go against a more finesse, quick, perimeter-oriented team uh, of 2021. In the end, it is a historic season that none of us will ever forget. And that, my friends, is enough for today's look back. Coming up, we are going to finish the show talking about Julian Strother, a certified walking bucket. And he has one advantage over the other players fighting for playing time this season. And I'll explain what that is here in just a minute. But first, a minute to talk about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market. It's the amazing low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, amazing tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate in all bars. The new flavor that they've got for a limited time, Apple Almond Crisp. Sounds very interesting. If you want that one, go for it. If you want something else, go for that. If you're not sure what you want, get a mixed box with multiple flavors. All of them are soft, easy to chew, absolutely delicious. Not only do they taste great, but they're healthy too. Great for the health conscious guy and also for anyone looking to lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Most built bars have 17 grams of protein, which is 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. So go to built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. That's LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order at built.com. I think at this point, everybody knows Andrew Nemhard, Chet Holmgren, Drew Timmy. All three of those guys are locks to be in the starting lineup. On November 9th, there are six guys fighting for those final two spots. And if you ask 50 different people for their starting five for this coming season, I think the most common of those six players to be in that starting lineup seems to be Julian Strother. And I tend to agree with them because Julian Strother has something that the rest of them don't have, and that's legitimate size on the wing. At six foot seven, maybe six foot eight, he has a chance to be a complete and total matchup nightmare, especially when he's on the court together with Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy. This is pretty cliche, but his path to playing time this season is to take that expected sophomore jump. We know what Julian Strother can be offensively. 
He has the chance to be one of the best wing slashers in school history. He is, as everybody says, a walking bucket, as he has shown pretty much his entire life. He scored 30 a night as a senior in high school. He led the entire FIBA U19 World Cup in scoring two summers ago with 22 points a game as a 17-year-old. He scored 12 points in eight minutes against Portland in January. He had 11 points in 10 minutes two weeks later against San Diego. Came off the bench, he hit three threes against Norfolk State in the NCAA tournament. He played first half minutes against Kansas and Iowa to begin the season. All this is to say the coaching staff loves Julian Strother. Now, as I said, he needs to round out his game. He showed glimpses of being a better shooter last year, but it's never really been his strength. And for a team that's losing a ton of three-point shooting, they're going to need Strother to improve from beyond the arc. Defensively, I think he's going to be in a really interesting spot most of the season. In the WCC, pretty much every team plays with three guards on the court at all times these days, which means Strother is likely going to be guarding smaller players and possibly even quicker players. So we'll see how he's able to handle that. But make no mistake about it, the offensive side of the ball is where he's going to make his money. He excels in open space, both in the half court and in transition, and he's incredibly smart off the ball as well. That baseline spot where you saw Joel Yai cutting over and over and over uh, the last two years, I think that spot can be occupied by Julian Strother next season. He's got an incredibly, incredibly high IQ, and his effort level is always there when it comes to rebounding the ball as well. More than anything else, I think I am just incredibly excited to see how this coaching staff finds mismatches like they did last year. Not many teams have three guys big enough and talented enough to guard Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren and Julian Strother at their positions. Gonzaga is going to have at least one mismatch on the floor every single night, and that's not even including their starting point guard and Andrew Nemhard. And to start the year... I think there's a good chance that teams are going to say, hey, you know what? Our game plan tonight is to stop Chet and Timmy inside and we'll allow Julian Strother to try and beat us. That is a dangerous proposition, my friends, because this kid is ready to score 20 in the blink of an eye and you'll be having a long bus ride home. That is going to do it for today's show. We will be back tomorrow to look at the 2018 Gonzaga Bulldogs who are one Killian Tilly injury away from potentially reaching the Final Four in back-to-back seasons. We'll also continue our Path to Playing Time series with some words on Esther Little, who is one of the three lesser-known freshmen on the Gonzaga women's team. Get to know her tomorrow on the show. Before we go today, if you're a baseball fan, betting on the MLB does not have to be a guessing game anymore. If you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast, hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and Lee Sterling's Lock of the Day. Follow the Locked on Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget, you can also rate and subscribe to this podcast. Please leave us a five-star rating. You can follow me on Twitter at Escargo. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Zags. If you want to email the show, feel free to do so. It's LockedOnZags at gmail.com. Everybody, enjoy your Wednesday. We'll see you back here tomorrow morning. It is a great day to be a Zag.